What's fascinating to me is that so many of our everyday products that we use are getting better and better and smarter at such a rapid rate. Our phones are essentially walking computers and now our watches function as phones and our cars can even drive themselves. Yet a fundamental issue we face is that the entire U.S. infrastructure has not been updated since the 1950s. So many roads are riddled with potholes and communities have poor internet connectivity, just to name a few. We need important initiatives to bring the right people and organizations together to elevate our U.S. infrastructure to the 21st century. How can the U.S. become a world leader in this space? Intelligent infrastructure will create safer, more efficient, and resilient communities. And that's where the Autonomy Institute steps in. It's an Austin-based nonprofit that is spearheading this initiative. I'm Kristen Slanina, Chief Innovation Officer at Park My Fleet, and today's host of the Driving Mobility Podcast. Joining me today is Jeff Deku, Chairman of the Autonomy Institute. On today's episode, Jeff and I will explore what is plaguing our cities most and the intelligent infrastructure we can look forward to to fix it, as well as the initiatives that Jeff is working on to bring this into fruition. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you so much for joining us today on Driving Mobility. It's a pleasure to be here, Kristen. I've definitely enjoyed the, the time and uh, collaboration over the years. You've had a very interesting life journey. So if you could share a little bit about the highlights of your career and what exactly led you to where you are today, leading the Autonomy Institute? Maybe tell us a little bit more detail about specifically its mission and vision. How did it even come into fruition? Well, that's a big question. My entire background has always been enterprise software. So really about 10 years ago, realized that that was gonna take another direction where a lot of things that have been done with software is gonna move into the physical world. And it was a, a long journey to get to where we are today. And I think our aspirations on this is just to get uh, the U.S. building infrastructure again so we can actually continue to innovate and uh, build the, uh, the smart cities and the resilient supply chains that I think all of us want to see. We're going to see a lot more what you'd say robotics or autonomous systems out, you know, out in our cities and our neighborhoods and uh, provide a lot of economic value. That led to the realization that the infrastructure wasn't there to support these, mm -hmm. these systems. And uh, the comparison I, I think a lot of the public would understand is if you think about the, the aviation industry from 1500 feet on up, they have a very resilient system of systems. They have you know, radars, transponders, beacons, antennas, GPS satellites uh, in space, um, all providing a very holistic, safe aviation you know, system. If you go 1500 feet on down where most of the activity you know, takes place with you know, whether it be supply chain logistics or smart cities or advanced mobility, we have no infrastructure in place. So originally we thought um, we were putting pressure on companies like Raytheon Corporation to say, hey, just like you did with the aviation industry, it'd be great for this to be solved so we can continue to innovate great software on this new infrastructure. What came to be is a, a clear need for a collaboration to be built. So the Autonomy Institute was established in 2018. It now has over 300 industry partners engaged 
and the, the core purpose of the Autonomy Institute is not to create another institution or another organization, it's to be the catalyst to work with both industry partners, with government partners, and with the deep-pocketed infrastructure investors that can underwrite this 21st century infrastructure that enables all these new exciting applications and services that are critical for our, our nation to continue to be productive and competitive. Jeff, that is so fabulous because you're right. We have to have that infrastructure, like as you say, on the ground, not just in yeah. the air, and uh, and get us to the 21st century. I, I love the work that you're doing. And I, I'd like to dive a little bit more with you into intelligent infrastructure. And let's really talk about what that means and how can it really benefit society as a whole, if you could give some examples. Using like concrete examples, I think because of COVID, everybody became aware of what broadband is. So, so I think if, if you understand broadband, you understand intelligent infrastructure, and, and I'll come to, back to why that is. But also you think about most cities and states and federal have been um, pursuing this concept called Vision Zero, which is reducing traffic deaths to zero. You've had the energy industry pursuing things like microgrids to make sure that our electrical grids are more resilient. You have all these carriers wanting to get 5G or 6G networks deployed to support more advanced uh, services. So the best way we talk about you know, intelligent infrastructure, we, we often post that it's the brains of our future economy, but it really starts off with a very mundane passive infrastructure. And that passive infrastructure is far more about real estate and who pays for it than any one technology that gets deployed within it. And there was a great paper that was published by Brent Skurup from the Berkatis Center and Karok Ray from Texas A&M May Center that talked uh, about smart cities, dumb infrastructure. And we prefer you say passive infrastructure, but it's about how do we solve, if everybody needs to densify, but the economics are not feasible for people to densify, how do we solve that and bring multiple industries together? And that is a very impactful phrase that you just said, right? Smart cities and dumb infrastructure. And you're right about you know, this really is the brains of our future economy. It's so important that we have this initiative and really so glad to see you're leading that charge. So tell me a little bit more about where are we today in accelerating this initiative? It's It's been a long journey. Uh, a lot of it was, you know, partial in our side, you know, understanding how do we educate, you know, the market because uh, we actually had to go all the way back to the early 1900s to understand you know how things like the 19 inch rack became a standard it went down to 1936 of how electrification became a thing within the united states and even what eisenhower did in 1950s with interstate highways believe it or not this those had the exact same headwinds against them when they they came out and say we have to do this because take interstate highways. You know, uh, the president was saying, hey, we need to do interstate highways. And everybody looked outside their window and saw right. the roads and like, what is he talking about? We already have roads. We, like, they didn't understand the different type of, the different approach to building the roads, the more consistent and the standardization that really connected the nation together. And so I think the headwinds of um, us understanding how to communicate what intelligent infrastructure is, understanding that it's all about our national sovereignty and our global productivity is based on this infrastructure, but how do we communicate it and get more of a coalition built? 
I'd say that uh, especially the last two years, it's it's really skyrocketed because people then really appreciated what had to take place. A lot of the infrastructure investors realized that with this intelligent infrastructure, this these what we call the more like condos for electronics on the the edge, it eliminates seventy percent of the deployment costs. So realizing whatever gets deployed today will be changed out tomorrow by dealing with the economics up front. It, it changes the game completely. It also gets a whole nother group of investors involved because up till now it's been predominantly venture investors wanting to underwrite a new device or technology or sensor. But now we have the infrastructure investors that have 10, if not 100 times the amount of money that could be deployed for the, the build out. Wow, fantastic. I mean, you've highlighted a couple of things here. I think that's huge that 70% of the deployment costs can be offset by having, as you say, that foundational structure. I also love your examples of history. And you're right, we can learn so much from history. And uh, it's interesting yeah. how it can repeat itself. Just rhymes over time, right? Yeah, exactly. And so I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about uh, the PINs that you're planning to use. So PIN stands for Public Infrastructure Network Node. And it was a very carefully curated group of words to make sure that it really fit the the operation that it was supposed to to, to take care of. But uh, PINs, think of them as digital condos. So just like we have condos for people in cities. When we began, we thought smart poles fit this role. So we uh, spent time with a lot of the really big production you know, companies of, of smart poles, but we realized the upgradability was the key ingredient. And the analogy we came across is uh, back in 1922, uh, Bell Labs created um, what is called the 19-inch rack. So if it, a lot of people don't understand what the 19-inch rack is, but a specific form factor. And if you go into any equipment closet where computers are, you go into any data center, you go in any cell tower, you will see the form factor of 19 inches. And that has allowed us to upgrade and replace every single compute device, every single network device, and every single storage device for the last 100 years. Well, if anybody's seen a 19-inch rack, we do not want a 19-inch rack on our sidewalk. <laughs> so there had to be something different, and that is what the pin has become. It's, it's a specific form factor that allows people to design all their devices and technology, but everything goes inside of it, and it's a different form factor to allow all these um, new technologies to be deployed within our city. Jeff, I think that's fantastic because you're right. Having that upgradability is going to be absolutely necessary because we keep progressing so quickly and exponentially. If we were trying to upgrade data centers and we did not have a form factor to to rely on, there'd be a new design every single year. And unfortunately, that's that's what's happening uh, at the edge right now is we have all types of widgets wanting to be deployed in our city that have a tremendous amount of economic value but if we keep on just strapping, bolting, and hanging blight all over our city, we've already seen what happens. The city says no more. We don't want to see any more of this stuff you know, deployed. And this is where this new infrastructure, the pins, um, provide the real estate asset class that allows a elegant solution, but allows it to be upgraded and managed for the next 30, 40, 50 years. 
So I know autonomous vehicles are in the media quite a lot, and uh, they were supposed to have been launched already out there in the market. Yeah. <laughs> Would love to get your take, Jeff, though, about autonomous vehicles, you know, in general, as well as, you know, how they really benefit society and the role that you see them in intelligent infrastructure. Well, let's start off with the, the benefits that we think are the ones that should be leading the, the way. Um, because I think even though a lot of people focus on, oh, I'm, I have a nice fancy car, it can drive me to my, my place of work. In, in essence, that's, that's valuable, but the things that really open up the aperture of, of benefits to society is communities that have disadvantage or elderly, or even with the early pilots that Waymo did, where you know people that were blind were, were given freedom. They were able to, right. to go to places that they weren't able to before. So we believe those types of use cases are going to be the ones that are going to be the most um, accepted and the, the most um, valuable to, to communities initially. And where we see the biggest deployment of autonomous systems is going to be around maintenance and sustainment. And mm. it's, it's an area that very few people are even paying attention to. but. You know, you think about it, we have trillions of dollars of infrastructure deployed. The DOD's biggest cost is sustainment of all the equipment that they have, all their ships and the roadways and buildings. And that's where robotics, uh, especially autonomous systems, can be deployed at scale to, to maintain and um, build a far more resilient and um, you know, perfected you know, community. That accessibility, you know, kind of is an equalizer and you're right, that maintenance and sustainment a huge, huge opportunity. It is, and it's, it's one that the, the public will accept because not very many people want to like doing the chores <laughs> to, to maintaining potholes and yeah. Not at all. But it's it's an area that robotics are perfectly positioned because it's it's not replacing jobs because most of the jobs are we don't have the manpower to go replace all the potholes. We don't have the manpower to actually manage all the the power lines. What this does is gives a, a ability to to really build a lot more resilience across all the infrastructure we already have built and then of course all the future infrastructure that we're building. A huge enabler. I love that. You're working on numerous initiatives that are very innovative including the SH-130 corridor which will be one of the first autonomous, intelligent, and electrified corridors in the nation. Please tell us more about this. The Autonomy Institute is working on almost two dozen different regions across the United States on what we call intelligent infrastructure economic zones. So like th these are large zones that someone can write a hundred to five hundred you know, million dollar check for a large scale deployment. Um, SH-130 is a, like you said, a 90 mile corridor just east of Austin. It jumped up to the top of the list a little over two years ago for a, a number of reasons. The first is that's where the Tesla factory has been built. It's also where $60 billion of additional new projects are being built along that road. Billion. $60 billion. $60 billion of, of projects. Another reason why the federal agencies fell in love with that becoming what we call the Route 66 of intelligent infrastructure is they have a $550 million equity investment in that roadway. So anything that can um, provide additional value to that roadway is, is a top priority you know, for them. It also connects the uh, main corridor from Mexico to, to the north. On the south side, it connects San Antonio and Houston, bypasses Austin all the way up to, to the Dallas region. The excitement that we have for it is, number one, it's going to be the first large-scale deployment, but because of this $60 billion of projects, a lot of things popped up to be the first 
So as, as Park My Fleet, one of the things we can talk about is, you know, a large grant was actually secured for Coldwell County to build a 21st century truck hub. And now that is, you know, being revamped to like, okay, if a truck hub for parking can take place, how can we turn that into a charging as well as a logistics hub that basically has all the, the support for full operations management? And that will be, I think, depending on how it's designed and um, when you know the ground breaks, it could be the first in the nation to become a benchmark of what is a intelligent truck hub and how can it actually service the industry and support these large fleets, whether it be hydrogen powered, natural gas powered, electrical powered. But the big thing is we know that supply chain logistics is going to be a major issue for the United States. Um, so much of nearshoring and inshoring has taken place and we're going to have a lot more trucks coming onto the roadway. You know what, that's so true. We're really excited to work with you guys on that. And I look at that as the, the start of, as you said, many more of those hubs needed. So let's do this in the right way. So many possibilities. It's exciting. So I know like as a society, a global society, we want to reach net zero. And so what efforts make you most hopeful in us achieving this end? And what do you think might be standing in the way of that? The biggest issue that I, I hear, luckily, a lot of people talking about is the net new electric generation. I mean, uh, you know, to go you know, net zero, we need a lot more power generation. And it's not just replacing the, the power that we're currently using. It's like all the new generation to basically do things like carbon capture and all this electrification of mobility um, or, you know, the, the, the freight uh, transportation that, you know, people are looking to push forward. So we think generation and the deployment of the intelligent infrastructure that allows microgrids to become a thing, because we're talking a lot more electrical generation coming to the grid, we have to have a lot more intelligence coming to the grid. Jeff, Just, I couldn't agree with yeah. you more, like rethinking the energy in the world, especially the United States and, uh, and doing it differently. And catching up with nations that have like gotten way out ahead of us. I mean, what China's been able to do with intelligent infrastructure as an example is, I like to highlight that China is now approaching 3 million 5G nodes across their country. Wow. 700,000 in other nations. And in the US alone, we have yet to cross over 100,000 true 5G nodes. So there's a lot of catch up, but I'd say that there's so much incredible leadership that has you know, jumped up off the bench got into the game and is really you know, pushing for the, this build out to take place. And for, for just the public to know, when you talk about energy, electric, everything is, is real time predominantly on the, on the grid right now. And in order for you to affect change and, and start to take advantage of a lot of these new generation sources at the edge, you know, whether it be at people's homes or cars or solar decisions have to be made in five milliseconds or less and that means those decisions have to be made at the edge um, they have it, it to be made they there. have yeah. to be made at the edge which means um, the same infrastructure that delivers broadband to sally so she can do all the homework at home is the same infrastructure that supports the device that allows the energy company to make that five millisecond decision to make sure that when someone plugs in their tesla it doesn't blow up the transformer down the road Unfortunately, that was happening a lot in early days of, of Austin's older neighborhoods. 
So Jeff, wow, you are like almost a walking encyclopedia. I love it, all, all the data and information that you have and know about. I mean, there's a, there's a global puck, a global shift taking place. And where, like I said at the beginning, I was always a software guy, enterprise software building um, systems, leveraging you know, computers to, to truly add a lot of productivity gains to business. But what, where the nation, where the world is going is a rebirth of building building in the real world, especially in the United States. If you look at what China has done over the last 30 years, they've almost re replaced you know, the, the, our, our nation's infrastructure three times over. We still yeah. are you know, kind of resting in our laurels of what we built in the 40s, 50s, 60s. So I think we're gonna see a rebirth of building you know, physical, in the physical world again. I, I think it's gonna be the largest uh, productivity gain in history of what uh, the net result is. And it's a time that we're going to see, you know, all sectors come together. You know, the brains and the brawn collaborating together on you know something that will truly make our country exciting again, and and uh, truly something that uh, inspires the next generation to want to be part of. Jeff, that's fabulous. I love that term about rebirth, and there is nothing that should prevent the United States from being a leader in this intelligent yeah. infrastructure space. That's what I'd like to see. We will, and it's going to be you know, companies like Park My Fleet and others that have been pioneering for so long that really helps you know, make this all happen. Jeff, thanks so much. Every time I talk with you, I always learn something new. Really appreciate you coming on. <laughs> well, I always enjoy the, the time, and I'm just looking forward to seeing as many of these Park My Fleet facilities as possible to um, bring us into the 21st century. Great. Thanks, Jeff.